Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, February 1st. I'm Nyla Boot. Here's what we're covering today. Congress prepares for impeachment and stimulus talks. Plus, social media tries to cash in on the creator economy. But first, today's one big thing, the wrong way to think about vaccines. With new variants of the coronavirus spreading around the country, we're facing a deadlier and longer-lasting pandemic, which is why vaccines are more crucial than ever. There are now three viable vaccines against the coronavirus, from Moderna, Pfizer, and now Johnson & Johnson. It's a remarkable feat, but there's a lot we don't know, like can we transmit the virus after being vaccinated, or how effective are these vaccines against mutations? And is putting too much emphasis on what we don't know discouraging people from getting vaccinated? That's what Axios's Brian Walsh has been asking. Hey, Brian, I wonder if we can start with the most recent news of Johnson & Johnson announcing Friday that it was 66% effective against COVID-19. It's lower than Moderna and Pfizer's efficacy rates. But why do you think it's a mistake to focus on the efficacy rate here? I think it's a mistake to focus on that raw number of efficacy because what we really care about when it comes to a vaccine is, can it prevent hospitalizations? Can it prevent deaths? So the very fact this vaccine proved to be 100% effective in a 44,000-person study against hospitalizations and deaths tells me that this is a very effective vaccine. It's also important that Johnson Johnson's vaccine only requires one dose. It doesn't require a sort of complex cold storage system the way that the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines do. And that's actually, in some ways, even more important because we've had a hard time distributing them. And if you can cut the number of vaccines you need to distribute from two doses with the Moderna and Pfizer one to one dose of Johnson & Johnson, and you don't need to get expensive refrigerators to keep it stable, that's actually really, really important. Of course, that's assuming that people want to take the vaccine. And I'm just thinking about one survey that shows half of Americans would either delay or decline the vaccine if it was offered to them for free right now. So I wonder how much of messaging around the vaccine about what we don't know is feeding into people who maybe aren't hardcore anti-vaxxers but are reluctant to get the coronavirus vaccine. That really concerns me. There's a large number of Americans who don't necessarily see the value of the vaccine for them. You know, maybe they're younger. They're not in a risky group. So why bother to get it now? If we really want to bend the curve on the pandemic, we're going to need to get this to almost everybody. And that means we really need to sell it to people who may think, well, do I really need this vaccine? Is it really going to make my life any different than it is right now? And I know there's a subset of the population that has worries about how fast these vaccines were approved, how they came together. All I can say to that is that these vaccines have been studied really closely, really granularly. All these vaccines have proven to be very safe. And look, the worst thing that could happen if you take it is you'll be protected against hospitalization and death. This is a good thing. This is something you should be wanting to get if it's offered to you. And I'm just worried that we're going to see more and more of that reluctance show up As you get past that sort of population that is most at risk, that's most eager for the vaccine, we still need to get an additional 20, 30, 40 percent of the population beyond that to get anything close to the kind of herd immunity would actually bring this pandemic to a halt. Brian Walsh is Axios's future correspondent. We'll be back in 15 seconds with what we're watching in Congress this week. Welcome back to Axios Today. 
We're eight days away from the second Senate impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. It's a historic trial, but it's not the only thing on Congress's plate this week. Negotiations are also continuing over President Joe Biden's COVID relief plan. Axios congressional reporter Kadia Goba is here to fill us in this Monday morning on what she's watching in Congress this week. Good morning, Kadia. Good morning. What should we be paying attention to this week around impeachment? Well, it's interesting. The nine impeachment managers are settling in on their strategy. We understand it's going to be a very emotional one that basically drives home the day of January 6th and shows through video how the events led to eventually a bunch of rioters coming into the Capitol at the beck and call of the president. We heard some news about Trump's legal team this weekend. What do we know about what he's planning for the impeachment trial? Well, we don't know a lot. Five of the attorneys who were supposed to be representing the president left his defense team because it's been reported that there was a difference of opinion on strategy. The other thing we're watching in Congress is the negotiations around Biden's COVID relief package. Yesterday, 10 Republican senators requested a meeting with President Biden around this bill. Kadia, what are they asking for? As of now, we don't quite know what those 10 senators are actually asking for. The main point is how close they're going to get to this $1.9 trillion. President Biden wants a bipartisan agreement on this. So I imagine he feels that it is in his best interest to pay attention to those senators. But again, the question is whether or not they are going to come close to that $1.9 trillion. And if they can't reach an agreement, Democrats and Republicans, what's the plan to get this COVID relief bill passed through Congress? Democrats are going to push to go through the reconciliation process. Basically, Democrats are going to want to put that $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill forward with 50 votes from the Senate rather than a 60-vote threshold. Kadia Goba is an Axios congressional reporter and co-author of the Sneak Peek newsletter. The next big thing in social media is clear, the creator economy. Sarah Fisher, media reporter for Axios, is here to explain what the creator economy even means. Sarah? Yes. So when we think about traditional social media, that is powered by everyday users posting content for free and getting interactions. The difference between that and creator apps, apps like OnlyFans or Substack, is that content creators get paid. And that's built into the business model of those types of apps. So when we're saying creators make money, how? A lot of creators make money through ad revenue splits with the platforms itself. But Instagram and some of the other platforms are trying to help creators sell merchandise. So it's commerce revenue. Some creators have really smart sponsorships. So is it too late for the old social media? What we're seeing is that the old form of social media has become really powerful platforms for news, information. The new form of social interaction that people are craving in the creator economy is having a way to support the talent that you really care about and want to see more of. On something like OnlyFans or Substack, I actually pay the creator I want directly to get their content. And on other platforms like TikTok, Creators who get really, really high levels of views, they get paid out through high sponsorship deals and advertising rates. Here's the big picture. Users paying creators puts a premium on talent instead of just noise. Sarah Fisher is Axios's media reporter. 
Here's one more story before we end today. Over the weekend, tens of thousands in Russia took to the streets again to protest against the detention of opposition leader Alexei Navalny, the anti-corruption advocate who's Vladimir Putin's public enemy number one. Russian police responded to the weekend protests with a large-scale operation Sunday, including accusations of brutal force and arrests of nearly 5,000 people. What we're watching for now is Tuesday. Navalny has a court hearing and is calling for even more protests. That's it for us today. You can reach your team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. And this morning, the newest episode of How It Happened, Trump's Last Stand, is out. It's Axios's new hit podcast with Jonathan Swan and his exclusive reporting on the last two months of the Trump administration. This week, the story behind why former Attorney General Bill Barr resigned. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. 